Hello and welcome to Socialism, the Marxist podcast from the Socialist Party. How should socialists respond to the dramatic crisis in the US? On Wednesday the 6th of January 2021, Trump supporters, some armed, invaded Congress. It was the culmination of the loose cannon president's desperate attempts to overturn the election result. But the US capitalist class is used to inflicting humiliations like this on the rest of the world, not losing control at home. Was this action just a protest turned riot, or did it really represent some kind of attempted coup? Are Trump and his movement fascists, or is the real picture more varied and chaotic? The opposite attitudes of some of the Capitol Hill police officers and the US military chiefs show the split in the US state machine. The big divide between Trump supporters and other Republicans shows splits are possible there too. So can incoming Democrat Joe Biden fundamentally change the fortunes of US capitalism or the conditions of the mass of the population? Is it right to support social media bans, new anti-terror laws and the Democratic Party itself? Or would that actually help Trump and hinder working class struggles? Clearly, the events of the 6th of January were a watershed. What do workers and young people in the US need in order to start to put their own stamp on events? This episode of Socialism looks at the US in crisis, the storming of the Capitol. Well, as we mentioned in last week's episode, the start of 2021 has already crammed in an extraordinary gamut of historic events, in fact, in a whole number of countries, but none more so really than the breathtaking developments around the end of the Trump presidency with the storming of Capitol Hill and all kinds of extraordinary political fallout following on from that, completely unprecedented really in the modern history of US capitalism and imperialism. So to discuss that and its consequences, we have with us today Tony Sonwa, the Secretary of the Committee for a Workers International. Hello again, Tony. Hello there, James. So our first question then is, could you just, <laughs> for anyone who's been living under a rock for the past couple of weeks, go through exactly what happened? Well, Trump called a demonstration for January the 6th and thousands turned up. Now, I think we have to put that in a certain proportion because he was boasting about the fact he was going to mobilise half a million, even a million. There was going to be a million march, etc. Now, a number of thousands did turn up and they were a very diverse crowd in some respects. Trump addressed them. And then within them, you also had hardcore far-right, some fascistic groups present like the Proud Boys, and other groups as well. And those groups clearly had a certain agenda, probably not a clearly worked out plan, but they then launched this unprecedented assault on Capitol Hill and attacked the Congress buildings, entered into them, and undoubtedly some of them had the idea that they were going to try and possibly kidnap members of Congress and hold them hostage. Uh, They had weapons and cable ties, didn't they? Some of them got inside and they were armed. They had handcuffs, plastic ties, etc. And some of them probably had this idea. Others undoubtedly were there in response to Trump's call and were just there to protest and were not necessarily part of the hardcore right-wing groups which went there with a bit more of an objective. And even they did not necessarily have a clear plan of where they were going with that. But it was incredible scenes, the likes of which have not been seen 
in the history of US imperialism for decades, if not more than 100 years. And, of course, he's unleashed an entirely new situation. It has terrified the US ruling class. It's terrified sections of the capitalist class internationally. Trump's support is there. His hardcore right-wing groups were of a reactionary variety. Undoubtedly, that is the case. But for the leaders of capitalism globally, the shots coming over the television screens of people storming parliament buildings (laughs) would have filmed them with somewhat trepidation. The idea could have been put down in people's minds, well, if they can do it, we can do it. And undoubtedly, they've launched a ferocious campaign now against Trump, both the US ruling class and indeed the capitalist class internationally. We should add, however, of course, in some other countries, it's been twisted against US imperialism. We've seen the regime in China, Xi, and also Putin in Russia, Mm. have very skillfully used these events and twisted it against them, as the Chinese pointed out. Well, when the youth attacked the parliament building in Hong Kong, Nobody was killed. And of course, it was four or five people killed in the US itself. And it's mm. done US imperialism immense damage internationally. Its credibility, its authority, particularly in the neo-colonial world of Asia, Africa and Latin America, has been enormously damaged by these events. I think we should add that the events on January the 6th were of crucial importance, but they were part of a whole process. It wasn't just one day. It was a culmination of a whole series of events initiated by Trump, really to try and overturn the election result. So these are events which really the US ruling class is used to inflicting on weaker economies in order to further its own interests and has now suffered the extraordinary humiliation of being unable to control section of its own population and it happening at home. We're actually recording this episode just hours before Joe Biden is due to be inaugurated. Could you talk a little bit about that, Tony? Well, I mean, even the crisis has continued. As Trump himself today, as he left the White House, he made the point this is just the beginning in terms of the events that have taken place. We can maybe return to that point a little later. Mm. But I mean, The crisis has continued. The very fact you have this inauguration taking place with nobody present except, I think it's 150,000 US flags, 25,000 US troops put onto the streets of Washington. Carefully vetted. Carefully vetted by the FBI as well. Absolutely petrified at this position, spinning out of control. And members of the armed forces there in interviews have made the point quite correctly that they've been on patrol in the streets of Baghdad in Iraq. They've been in Kabul, in Afghanistan, and they never anticipated they would be having to patrol the streets of Washington on the day of inauguration of the US president. And it's dramatic and it's unprecedented in its scope and its sweep. And it is a real illustration of the massive crisis which exists within US society. It's a comment on the general decline of US imperialism. These scenes would be unthinkable only a few years ago. And it really reflects the entirely new era that has been ushered in within the US itself. So what do these events represent politically then? Because there have been all sorts of different ideas out there. There have been those who have said Trump is a fascist and this was his attempt at a fascist coup. There are others who have said that this was nothing at all. It was a simple protest and riot and we should dismiss it out of hand as such. What does the Committee for Workers International think is the significance of these events? Well, I think firstly, we cannot underestimate the significance of these events. They're a reflection of a whole political polarisation and division which is now rife throughout US society. And 
while there was elements of uh, fascistic types of groups throughout the Proud Boys and some others, there were mm. the conspiracy theorists of QAnon mm. who were present, far-right groupings of that character, it's also got to be put in its context because it was a very serious event and it was an attempt by Trump to overturn the election result. Now, leave aside the events of January the 6th, we had to bear in mind what has taken place. Trump lost the popular vote then try to overturn the result of the popular vote. He takes the issue to judicial level, go to the Supreme Court, backed up the legal action taken by the state of Texas to try and overturn and challenge the election result. They then went into the Congress building itself with an attempt to try and thwart the certification of the election results themselves, which was necessary. And they boast about the fact that 10 Republicans voted against Trump on that occasion, but 180 or nearly 200, voted in favour of it. Mm -hmm. And this is part of what was an attempt to overturn the election result. And the only way you could really describe that was an attempted coup, Mm. not in the sense of a military mobilisation, because he didn't have the support of the military, certainly not the high command. But nevertheless, it was an attempt to overturn the election results. In that sense, you could say it will be an element of a parliamentary or judicial attempted coup, which then collapsed because he didn't have the base to carry it through. But nevertheless, that does not detract from the fundamental importance and seriousness of the situation, which has absolutely terrified the US ruling class. And they're now taking reprisals against Trump and his supporters mm. in a desperate effort to try and restabilise the situation and demonstrate that they're now back in control. So was this fascism? I think from the point of view of the Committee for the Workers International, we would not underestimate the seriousness of this. You have within these movements a very dispersed layer. You have a layer of Trump supporters who are drawn on a populist basis behind Trump. You have another layer who reflects racist ideas, reactionary ideas, a layer that are, if you like, around the Proud Boys and some other groupings, have a fascistic element. But the broad mass of his voters and his supporters are really drawn behind a patriotic nationalism which articulates many of the frustrations felt by the working class in general. If you listen to those interviewed who participated in the storming of Capitol Hill, if you listen to comments made by Trump supporters, you would see them articulating opposition and hatred to corrupt politicians, Mm. the ruling elite, that the entire system is corrupt. And they've been drawn behind Trump because, unfortunately, there's not been a serious challenge from the left. So we would say it's not fascism, does not mean to say it's not significant, is not a threat, but it shows that a real socialist alternative is crucial and more urgent than ever. Now, why wouldn't we say it's fascist? For Marxists and socialists, fascism is a particular type of reaction. It is formed historically on the basis of often small parties or small groupings emerging, but acquiring a mass base, and a mass base with a clear objective to smash the organisations of the working class and atomize the working class and in that sense completely obliterate and destroy its organisations. Now that is not posed in relation to the US at this stage. Mm. It's more got the characteristics of a right-wing nationalist populist movement in its majority rather than the classic form of fascism that we saw in the 1920s and the 1930s here in Europe. And that's important to draw that distinguishing line because if we don't, then we can miscalculate what exactly we're up against. We can miscalculate what the real balance of forces is. And what it illustrates 
and particularly now Trump's potentially played into an opportunity for the left, he's now routed on some of his supporters. Having called upon them to come demonstrate, he's then repudiated them, mm. trying to protect himself partly. He's now attacked them for the use of violence, etc. And it shows the cynical manipulation that Trump has deployed to try and manipulate his own forces. And that means... There should be the basis, an even greater basis, if you had a mass socialist left, to reach out and appeal to at least some of Trump's supporters and indeed split them away from him if a real serious alternative was present in the situation. Unfortunately, from a socialist point of view, from the point of view of an independent movement of the working class, an independent party of the working class, that is absent in the US at this particular point in time. And that's the crucial and urgent task that needs to be resolved. Now, you mentioned the possibility of splitting, winning over at least some of Trump's supporters on the basis of appealing to them and saying, well, look, your social conditions are appalling. We stand for better conditions for the working class and even those small proprietors, for example, who are drawn into Trump's movement. That's something which a mass socialist force would be able to do, to split his forces. But in terms of the established forces of capitalism, in particular states, we've seen divisions already within there, haven't we? We've seen, for example, the collusion of the Capitol Hill police, apparently, in the events of the 6th of January. We've seen communiques being put out by the tops of the military, which point in the opposite direction. So what's going on there? Well, I think it's part of the whole process of polarisation. There is no question whatsoever. If you look at what happened on January the 9th with the attacks on Capitol Hill, there was a large element of collusion with the police department and probably some other sections of the state machine itself were involved in that. The very fact that Biden has had to change his security detail because some of them were perceived to being hardline Trump supporters and you want them out. He illustrates that within sections of the state machine, there is a pro-Trump element, which is definitely present there. But on the other side, and this is the crucial point, Trump did not represent the decisive sections of the US ruling class. The most overwhelming majority of the US ruling class have wanted Trump out, and that was reflected within the state machine. There have been clashes within the state machine and in some areas of different splits and divisions there, particularly within the police, but the decisive layers of the army, the secret services, etc., have really been in opposition to Trump and wanting to transition to go ahead and probably have been towards Biden. And that's been reflected in the declarations that were made. Ten former secretaries of state for defence, living ones, came out and warned that they were against any military involvement in the transfer and handing over of power. The very fact that you had the military high command mm. issuing a statement saying that they were going for an orderly transition and they expected Biden to be the new president and the new commander-in-chief was a measure of that, that they were not prepared to play ball with that. I mean, it also reflects how worried they were about the situation. The fact they had to move in that direction does illustrate the fact that they at very least have rumours and wind of the fact that Trump was at least toying with the idea of not only attempting a parliamentary or judicial attempt at overturning the election result. They were even talking about the possibility of declaring martial law. There was all sorts of issues being discussed in the air for debating, and they felt they had to intervene decisively to try and prevent any attempt of a move in that direction. And from that point of view, you know, they prevented Trump pulling it off. He didn't have the forces. He didn't have the base to do it. But that does not undermine or detract from the seriousness of the situation which has existed and continues to exist at this stage. And it's probably true now, it's already beginning to happen, that as they're reasserting control of the position, they're trying to lay down a clear marker. Trump was out of control. We're not tolerating this position. 
There's a certain element of a purge to the state machine is in the process of being carried through in the US to remove Trump's hardline committee supporters from their positions. And that will probably intensify and continue in the coming weeks. So there's clear instability at the top of US society and in its state machine, the main apparatus which it uses in the last resort to maintain control of society by violence if necessary. And that's a very bad position for US capitalism to be in. But as you said... Clearly, he never had the support in society or in the state machine and particularly in the top of society in the capitalist class to carry through this coup. So given that, isn't some of this talk, some people might ask, a little bit overblown? Well, some people would say that, but I mean, it's the potential for the position. The very fact you had this position of the US president, this is the major imperialist power in the country, the presidency and sections of the state machine were out of control of the capitalist class. Mm. And they were damaging their interests fundamentally. And even the fact you had this attempt, it's failed, that does not detract from the seriousness of the situation. It's a reflection of how polarised the position was. And had the capitalist class not acted, he never had the base to carry off. But had the capitalist class sat on their hands and done nothing, don't rule out what he wouldn't have got away with. And in that situation, it would have plunged the US into an even deeper crisis if the election result had been overturned. There are examples, aren't there, in other countries of failed coups, which looked an awful lot like this. And there are also clearly traditions in the United States of a civil war, an actual civil war took place. So those are impacting the situation as well. Well, yeah, because we've seen other coups attempted, both military and parliamentary in other countries, and they failed. I mean, some horrifically have succeeded, where the capitalist class moved decisively in favour of a coup. But in this occasion, they weren't prepared to do that. And you've seen that in a series of other countries. In the 1980s, you saw in Spain, Toquero led 200 civil guards into the Spanish parliament to try and prevent the election of the new government. That was a farce and it collapsed because the Spanish ruling class at that stage did not want the military back in control. And to avoid revolution, had been compelled to move in a more, in inverted commas, democratic form of rule. We've seen coups attempted and collapsed in Venezuela. Mm. We've seen other instances where that has taken place on a more dramatic scale. You saw it in Turkey. It was the attempted coup not mm. only a few years ago. And that resulted in a brutal purge of those who tried to overthrow Erdogan's regime in Turkey. Now, it's not on that scale that's posed in relation to the United States. But nevertheless, these elements are present in the situation and the situation has not just gone away. This polarisation is going to continue and remains there. You only had to look at the opinion polls to see the overwhelming majority, I think it's about 70 or 80% of Republican voters since the election was fixed. They don't believe it was a legitimate result. And that's the basis for a continuation of this struggle in this crisis in the next period. And of course, there is a long history of rigging the vote by all sorts of means, legal and less legal, in the United States. And that should be remembered that some of the liberal press who are rubbishing these views that the election is rigged as fantasy, as having no basis in reality. Well, of course, it is clear that Trump did lose the election. It's not completely outlandish for people to question the process. It's not. You have a whole you know, position. The Democrats have rigged the elections in different states and, you know, in the past. You have a whole history of it. You had the famous position where Al Gore was robbed of a victory in Florida. The Hanging Chads. The Hanging Chads. That is there. The whole existence of the Electoral College. Mm. It's a completely undemocratic system. The gerrymandering that takes place, which the Democrats themselves have been fully implicit in, in their own areas, even in the presidential elections itself. 
let us not forget that it was the Democrats who took measures in some states to exclude Howie Hawkins from the Green Party from even being on the ballot. Mm. So, I mean, there's a whole history of gerrymandering and undemocratic steps being taken, the whole structure of the Supreme Court, the Electoral College, the Senate itself. I mean, the whole thing is completely undemocratic and riddled from top to bottom with corruption. And this is presented as an attack on the democratic process. I mean, it was an attempt to overturn the clear majority that Biden secured of those who turned out to vote. Mm. But the whole process is riddled with undemocratic characteristics. And you also mentioned the measures which the ruling class and its political representatives and the state machine and so on are now taking against Trump, who has landed such an incredible blow on the authority and prestige of the state institutions which the capitalists in the US require to maintain control, not just in the US, but in their interests all around the globe. And that includes, for example, the social media bosses moving to completely exclude him from their platforms which is a form of censorship, in fact, because these are, you know, there's millions of Americans, millions more Americans, for example, follow Trump on Twitter than even watch Fox News. And at the same time, you've got Joe Biden promising a new anti-terror bill (laughs) on top of all the years of extremely draconian, anti-democratic, anti-terror powers, which the US state already has. Now, these are being aimed against brutal, reactionary bigot Donald Trump, who is absolutely no friend of the working class or oppressed people, young people, the left, or anything like that. So should socialists support these measures? Well, I mean, the issue is, is how do you defeat Trump? You can't trust the American ruling class, which, after all, has a history of endorsing military coups all around the world, Mm. have been responsible and have authorised assassinations, Mm -hmm. overthrown probably in every single country of Latin America, they've had a finger in the pie in one way or the other of instigating military action and military coups against different governments. And we can have no trust in them that they want to carry through any struggle against Trump on a democratic basis. They're acting to defend their interests. Now, they've used these sort of measures before. Post 9-11, we saw the Patriot Act was introduced. A whole series of measures was then brought in. And it can be used against the labour movement and against the working class. And we can have no trust in these people. If you're going to defeat Trump, you have to do it politically. And look how Twitter and the Facebook groups, the tech companies have acted. They banned Trump, it's true. But where does that take us? They've also suspended the account of the Committee for Workers International for a period. There's a whole series of people had their accounts broken down and taken down from Facebook. You had the recent example in Germany on the Rosa Luxemburg anniversary celebrations of a group of youth that were wearing the scarves of the former communist youth organization of East Germany, which, of course, we would fundamentally disagree with politically, but they were just wearing the scarves. They were arrested by the police just for wearing the scarf because it's an illegal symbol in West Germany. And when they organised a protest on this on Facebook, that was immediately cut down and their Facebook account was closed down. So you have all of these uh, measures which can be taken and twisted and will be used against the American working class and the labour movements in the next period. And we've already seen an example of that with the police. You've had the strike taking place in New York, led by the Teamsters, and the deployment of the police against them, brutal repression against them, under a Democratic mayor, by the way. (laughs) So allowing the capitalists in their state to establish more suppressive powers even if right now they're saying they want to use them against the populist right and those elements of the far right who are caught up in that train. 
these will inevitably be turned primarily against the working class and socialists, who, after all, are more of a threat fundamentally because Trump and the groups which are following him do defend the profit system. That's their political position in the end, whereas we stand for taking all the power out of the hands of the capitalists, so we shouldn't allow them to establish any more of these powers. Is that right? Absolutely. I mean, we have no confidence in them that they will use these powers, you know, just against the right. And the point is, if you're going to defeat the right, I mean, where there's a physical threat post to the working class, to the immigrant communities and the migrant communities, people have the right to defend themselves against mm. the racist and the fascistic attacks. And the, and the state itself. And against the state itself. Particularly, that's applicable in relation to America. But we're dealing with a movement like the Trump. The key question is, you've got to defeat it politically. You have to offer a political alternative to win millions of Trump voters who've been drawn behind his banner for want of an alternative. And any repressive measures, just limited to repression, is not going to undermine that base. If anything, it can reinforce it and strengthen it. Because he's saying, I oppose the establishment, and here's the establishment proving his point. Exactly. There is a point there. (laughs) So speaking of alternatives then, (laughs) Joe Biden won the popular vote of those who voted, as he said. He won the Electoral College. Both of these are extremely undemocratic institutions, but he has been formally recognised as the next president, the next leader of US capitalism. Will he be able to make any fundamental changes in the crisis-ridden system in the US? Well, there will be a change of policy. That's obvious. We only have to look at what he's doing. He's going out of his way. They have this program to heal the division, bring the country together, as they call the nation together, as Biden will put it. You look at the makeup of his administration, he's going for an extremely diverse makeup in terms of gender, in terms of race, in terms of sexual orientation. He's included a transgender woman in one of the posts for the first time. The steps like that that he has taken to try and paint the picture that this is a new administration representing America as it really is. Now, there will be a change in some of the aspects of the economic policy. There'll be a change in some aspects of his foreign policy, at least in terms of presentation, if not in actual substance. But given the economic and social and health crisis, which is so deep and profound, the deepest crisis that capitalism has faced since the 1930s, Biden is imprisoned within capitalism. He is a capitalist. He's part of the capitalist class. He is not going to take any substantial measures or any measures to overthrow capitalism. There will be a certain change of policy. But within capitalism, they're faced with this crisis and it's not going to be alleviated. And they're not going to alleviate the horrific conditions which are now facing the US masses as a consequence of the worst economic, social and health crisis since the 1930s. So you talked about some differences in economic policy. He's announced now a stimulus package, which actually doesn't sound that different to Trump's stimulus package. So what is his economic programme? Well, I mean, faced with this catastrophe, he's had to act and try and do something. The first thing he's done is a stimulus package of 1.9 trillion US dollars. And that is an attempt to paint a picture now. Within that, the American Rescue Plan, He's promising $400 billion on vaccine distribution to Mm. get, I think it's 100 million vaccinations in the first 100 days is what he's claiming to do. One trillion of the 1.9 trillion stimulus packages is to go to stimulus payments directly to people's income. You know, some of the poorest in society are one thousand four hundred dollars each, plus the six hundred that's always there. So he's put in two thousand US dollars. He will increase unemployment. He's announced a doubling, a doubling of the minimum wage to fifteen dollars. Huh. Now that will have a certain effect in terms of shoring up a little bit of support for him in the short term. But it's not going to fundamentally resolve the situation. It's not enough 
to resolve the underlying position. Given the millions that are losing their jobs, the 30 million that are under the threat of eviction, the starvation, which is now hitting sections of the US population, this stimulus package will have a certain effect. There'll probably be others that will be announced on top of it. And he's going to be pushed by the depth of this crisis to introduce more and bigger stimulus packages, most probably. And in that sense, it won't just be a crude continuation of even what Obama did under his presidency. But will it be enough to resolve the issue? I mean, they're encouraging him, be like Roosevelt, do the New Deal. And the New Deal in the 1930s had an important effect. But despite the effect on infrastructure, it took workers into jobs, created them. It was a big factor in giving an impetus to a massive growth within the trade unions, but it didn't resolve the economic crisis, didn't resolve the attacks even that took place against sections of the working class. For no, the, it didn't even solve all the unemployment. It didn't. It's a small it didn't, minority of the unemployment. Absolutely. No, it didn't. I mean, it didn't mop up the mass of the unemployed. But it had an effect. You can't close your eyes to that. But it, it did not resolve the fundamental problems. That required something more. To go into the whole period of the economic boom took place in the Western world after the Second World War, the key factor there was the development of the Second World War and the massive rearmaments program that took place, then you could say the New Deal had a certain effect with the Keynesian policies that were popularised afterwards, and it allowed it to reboot the capitalist system, the rebooting of the economy. That is not posed in terms of this era of what we're now in. And of course, from the point of view of US imperialism, that was accomplished at the time of US imperialist ascendancy mm. as it emerged from the Second World War as clearly the established global power. That is not the case today. And it's in a declining position, a global position threatened by China and a completely changed international situation. And that is another feature that Biden's administration is going to have to confront. And they're not going to break with capitalism. You only have to look at the types that are involved. You look at his appointment to the Treasury Secretary, Janet Yellen. I mean, this individual, she made $7 million in the last two years in speaking fees alone going to speak to the big corporation and the Wall Street banks. <laughs> they are entirely enmeshed with capitalism and the capitalist system, and they're not just going to break away from it. And of course, the massive destruction and the re-carving up of the world, which took place during the Second World War and the introduction of new technologies, these are all things which opened up new markets for capitalism to expand into, which is completely off the cards today on a global scale. So there is no basis for any kind of return to a boom, which, as you've explained, Keynesian policies, New Deal, and etc., didn't actually cause fundamentally in the first place. Anyway, they simply took the edge off for a minority of the working class without changing the fortunes of the economy as a whole. That requires, well, that requires a socialist revolution, actually, to take us past the economic problems of capitalism. But to go back to this issue of Biden's cabinet, it's also instructive, isn't it, that... He's installed a union leader from the AFL-CIO Union Federation, the main US trade union federation, <coughs> as his Secretary of Labour. What does that represent? Well, that represents a clear attempt to incorporate Labour, the trade union bureaucracy, into the administration, and he intends to rest on it. And they will try and use that to try and maintain control of the position, and they will incorporate the trade union bureaucracy into the administration, and try and use them, therefore, as a means to control and influence the working class and try and hold back any protests against it. And this is a key factor here in terms of the Democrats. One of the things they fear above everything else is the masses coming onto the streets. Mm -hmm. When Trump's forces were attacking Capitol Hill, the Democrats, the last thing on earth they attempted or wanted 
was counter-protests and the masses coming on the streets to protest against it. And they'll try and use the trade union bureaucracy to balance, give some concessions, but then also try and use them to rein in and check and control the working class. That's the classic role that befalls trade unionists and trade union leaders who then come into capitalist administrations, which unfortunately is what the Biden administration is. So, therefore, the workers in the trade unions will need to organise some kind of internal opposition, broad left groupings, to attempt to overturn those leaders. There will be the need for the building up of a powerful opposition inside the US trade unions to fight for democracy in the unions and to fight to transform those organisations into being really combative, militant instruments in the hands of the US working class. But, as well as, of course, requiring that within the trade unions, there's this question about how to approach the Biden administration itself, because many people in the United States, many left groupings even in the United States, said, well, look, we've got to get Trump out. And you can understand that feeling, of course. But have been saying, OK, we've got to get behind Biden. We've got to then push him left, that this has got to be the whole approach now. And actually, even now he's in power, not to be too hard on him, but to work within the channels which he's established and push him left. Do you think that's the right approach? No, I mean, that is the dominant approach, which is there at this stage. And I mean, most people, you can understand this, the majority of the population in the US will have a huge sigh of relief. Trump's gone, Biden's in, and they probably have an attitude, we'll give the guy a chance and let's see what transpires. But, you know, pushing him left, the only thing that will force them in a more combative direction will be mass mobilizations and struggle and even then how far he's pushed to the left any reforms that he's pushed and obliged to introduce concessions that he's compelled to give he will give with the left hand and u.s imperialism and capitalism will take it back from the right and therefore it's a question of preparing for the battles and the struggles that lie ahead biden is going to be in a position he's going to be facing more social turmoil and upheaval we have to see what happens with the virus and the health crisis but the economic and social situation is immensely explosive and that is going to continue to be the case trump is not just going to go away even now you have a major split opening up in the republican party Mm. the land moving against him him now saying today that he's toying with the idea of forming a new party the patriot party to try and keep his forces together and he's going to be in the mix as well and the issue is if the u.s working class does not come forward and it's not able and the left is not able to build a powerful left challenge and alternative disappointment later on with the Biden administration, disillusionment can then result either in the resurgence of Trump or even something worse or some other more right-wing populist force gaining momentum again. And therefore, the question of building an alternative for mass socialist character is extremely urgent in the situation which exists in the US. So what about figures like Bernie Sanders, like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez? You know, she has a position actually within the Congress, which is, the Congress is very finely balanced, isn't it? She had the opportunity potentially to be a bit of a thorn in the side of the capitalist Democrats to say, well, you know what, I want you to hold a vote on, for example, universal health care or some sort of step towards it. And even if that vote was lost, it would have done a job in exposing what the Democrats are really about, what the Biden administration is really about, and potentially building support for some kind of alternative. That didn't happen, did it? <laughs> it hasn't happened. I mean, they could continue to be a little bit of a thorn in the side of the democratic establishment. They can reflect a pressure from outside, but they're not offering an alternative. And what you correctly said there, James, she wouldn't put a bill to the Congress on the question of universal health care. And why? 
because she said it would be divisive. <laughs> you, you'd uh, split the Democratic Party. In other words, you don't want to rock the boat too much because yeah. you're not going to carry some of the Democrats along with you. And you'd lose it. Well, you probably you would lose it yeah. in America, but it's a platform to mobilise people outside. And therefore, it's a question of who's influencing who. You know, uh, Sanders and Cortez can have the idea, we go on and argue to push the party more to the left, but if they don't, they're then trapped and imprisoned. You know, the consequences of Biden's pro-capitalist policies, which will take place, and their abdicating responsibility of using the potentially powerful position they have to lay the basis for the building of a new party. And look what they've offered them. I mean, you mentioned new Labour secretary. Well, Sanders wanted that position, but the platitudes of Biden was to say how wonderful Sanders was. He made the great Labour secretary, but... Was he prepared to point him to that position? No. Hmm. So they've gone down in bended knee to support Biden along the argument to get Trump out and have been rewarded with what? Very little. So in terms then of how you actually start to build a new party, because you've mentioned that the Republicans are in deep strife, that there's the possibility, in fact, of an organisational split even in the Republican <clears throat> Party into two parties, a kind of right populist Trumpist party and a more, uh, <laughs> what is now called the moderate wing of the Republicans. Ten years ago would have been the hardline neoconservative wing of the Republicans, the George Bush Jr. wing, etc. That there's a possibility of a split there. But surely it would be better for figures like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, like Bernie Sanders to come out of the Democrats, therefore, and say, we want to stand openly for policies which support working people. It would be better for people like the AFL-CIO leaders who've been drawn into Biden's cabinet to say, no, we're not going to join your cabinet. We're going to establish a separate political project and put pressure on you from the outside. I mean, that's what they should do, James, but I mean, there's no chance the AFL-CIO leadership doing that. There's no chance now, as has been the case, of Sanders moving in that direction and probably not Cortez either. And it's going to be left to... Socialists, a new layer of workers that will move into the struggle. You know, activists in the movement. We would suggest that, you know, layers of socialists, of rank and file trade unionists, of youth campaigners and fighters that want to build an alternative, they should begin to group together now, come together in different cities, organising assemblies, electing committees to prepare for a campaign that then can begin to take the steps to lay the basis in different cities and states for building a political alternative that could then eventually come together nationally to at least lay the outline of what could potentially become a new party. The key now is to intervene and prepare for struggles, forge links with activists through those struggles for workers to learn lessons, draw the necessary conclusion as to what is necessary to take a more organised step towards grouping together those who want to build a challenge to capitalism and to the two-party system which rules it in the US at this stage. Well, as always, if you like what you've heard, recommend us to your co-workers and friends. Donate to help fund us. And if you agree, join the CWI and the Socialist Party. Thanks very much, Tony. Socialism is produced by the Socialist Party, the England and Wales section of the Committee for a Workers' International. Today we heard from Tony Sonoir and I'm James Ivins. This episode was edited by Nick Hart. You can find further reading in the notes in your podcast app and at socialistparty.org.uk forward slash podcast. If you want to get in touch, email socialismpodcast at socialistparty.org.uk. Do you agree with the policies and actions the Socialist Party is fighting for? Now is the time. Apply to join at socialistparty.org.uk forward slash join. 
To get involved with our co-thinkers in the US, visit independentsocialistgroup.org. If you live elsewhere and want to join the fight for socialism in your country, contact the Committee for a Workers International by visiting socialistworld.net. Socialism, the podcast, has no wealthy backers. We rely on funding from the working class, which maintains our political independence. So help us take the fight to the capitalists. You can make a regular donation or a one-off payment at socialistparty.org.uk forward slash donate. Till next time, solidarity.